Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Cindy, for those of you who don't know me. We've established that Easter has landed, has it not? Already, after the 1st of January, the shops were full of hot cross buns and Easter eggs. And as Troy mentioned earlier, this is the last opportunity that many people take to get away uh, before the weather turns bad and before it suddenly turns into the long weekend in June and it's too cold to camp apart from those who go to SYG. So here's the question for you. What is important to people at Easter time? There are millions of Jesus followers around the world who really do consider the cross to be something that is really worth focusing on at Easter time. And today we're going to be looking at the idea of Jesus being the welcomed king. And we know it's Palm Sunday because there's palm branches here and we're going to do something with those a little bit later, so that's a bit of a surprise. But the question is this. Why didn't Jesus give up? So kids today, if you're wondering about this word unwavering, it really means Jesus didn't give up. You see, this was the very first time in Jesus' life and in his ministry that he was actually publicly recognised as king. So in one week, Jesus goes to the cross. But in all the 30 years or 33 years by this time that he had been living, People had thought that he was the king or they had asked him, but he was always very elusive and very evasive about it. And this was the first time. But why? Why was this the first time? Well, if we pick up on this story, which we've just seen in Stu's game, which was amazing, by the way, well done. It says that they, the disciples, brought the donkey to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Why did they do that? Why did they spread their garments? Well, apparently, in the time of the Roman Empire, when Jesus was around and walked on the earth, the idea was that if a king or a governor or some ruling authority came to town, people would take off their cloaks and throw it on the ground. And the king would normally arrive on a donkey, not a donkey, on a um, a camel or an elephant or something big. So when they were throwing their cloaks on the ground, it meant, hang on a minute, is this guy a king? I mean, is he? Is he actually royalty? Excuse me for a moment while I just gather my notes. See, the reason why Jesus suddenly became recognised as king was because he had been doing these amazing miracles. Now, I'm not just talking about little miracles here. Just before this story happened, Jesus had actually raised somebody from the dead. Now, if you think about that for just a minute, that really is miraculous, is it not? And this guy, Lazarus, had not just been dead for a minute. It wasn't a near-death experience where they got the little charger things like in the you know, movies and awake. No, this guy had been dead for four days in a tomb with a stone in front of it. And Jesus rocks up and says roll the stone away. And so they do. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And this guy who's been dead for four days comes out of the grave. So you could imagine that news spread about him really quickly. And I don't know if you've ever seen news travel fast, but one day I was teaching at, um, actually it was Donvale Christian College, for those of you who go to that school or teachers who are there, you might remember. I was in the staff room one morning listening to the staff morning briefing. And all of a sudden I saw this hot air balloon that was kind of coming down a little bit too fast and a little bit on an angle. And 
it kind of crashed landed on the hill at the top of the school. And I kid you not, within about one minute, I think half the school population, all those kids were on top of that hill having a look at the hot air balloon because news travelled that fast. And that's what it was like with Jesus. That's why they thought he was the king because he'd gone and raised this guy from the dead. There was no Twitter or social media or Facebook. Hey, check this Jesus guy out who's raised Lazarus from the dead. No, word travelled fast around the villages so they started to follow him. So that's why he was being welcomed as a king when he came to this place with the donkey. Let's just have a look at this. It says that when he reached that place where the road started going down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles that they had seen. Now, I have a few little props here today because, well, I'm a teacher and so I love to do fun things and look a bit ridiculous. But if I put these pretend glasses on, this is just to show you that Jesus healed blind people. Okay, so just remember with these glasses, that means that he healed blind people, right? Are you with me so far? Are you tracking? No? Okay, Matt is. So if I put these headphones on, which means I can't hear myself very well anymore, so you may need to turn me down. This just represents that Jesus healed people who were deaf because they couldn't hear, right? So this represents, this means that Jesus healed people who were deaf. He also healed people who were lepers, people that had these contagious skin diseases. really can't hear myself. I'm partially healed. Contagious skin diseases where these people weren't allowed in, out in society because if they touched somebody, then they would catch that disease. So Jesus healed the lepers. He also did some other amazing miracles where he turned water into wine at a wedding. Now, I've just been to a wedding and the wine was amazing, but I just can't imagine what kind of wine Jesus would have turned that water into. I often think about that. would love to taste that. Nevertheless, moving on. I have my Wonder White bread because I didn't have time to go to Baker's Delight and buy a nice-looking artisan loaf. But Jesus actually managed to do a miracle with five loaves of bread and two fishes that were probably not Nemo. So, kids, Jesus did not eat Nemo. Please don't take that home from this talk. But two fishes and five loaves, and he fed 5,000 people. He healed the blind, healed the deaf, he healed the lepers. Do you know what else he did? This is my little representation of water. Jesus actually managed to calm the water and say, be still, and the water stopped moving. It's like a, a rough ocean that suddenly stops moving. He also did another thing. He actually walked on it. Now, I know that Mythbusters has done a thing on this before, where they've actually, who's seen that one, the Mythbusters, where they try and walk on water, they use skis and all sorts of things. But Jesus didn't need skis or big water shoes. He actually walked on the water because he had authority over it. See, there was this Jewish way of thinking that God was the one who could control the wind and the waves and the oceans. And so when people saw Jesus doing all these miracles, they went, this guy's got the same DNA that God has. So they started to put two and two together and think, hey, this is really amazing. I wonder, have you ever seen God do a miracle? Just put your hand up if you've ever seen God do a miracle. There's a few little hands. Some people are a little bit scared, I think, to put them up. There's a few there. Let me share, share a miracle that happened to me. 
Now, for you kids, hopefully this will help you to understand something that is a bit difficult to kind of get. But when you're a kid, sometimes you want to hide under your doona at night because you're scared of something and you have fear and you know that if you can't see something, you must be safe, right? Am I right? Of course I'm right. I used to struggle with this idea of fear that I was so afraid that I had this feeling that I just wanted to walk everywhere with this doona cover over me. And it got so bad at one stage that as an adult, I couldn't even rock up to work if I was nervous or anxious or fearful about something that was going to happen. I would have to take days off work and I would be vomiting. I even ended up in hospital three times because I was so fearful until the day that I decided to do something about it and went to some people who I knew were into praying And they prayed for me. And I tell you, from that moment on, I did not have that fear anymore. The next morning, it was like the sun was brighter and the sky was bluer and the trees were greener because Jesus was the one that took that fear. And undeniably, in that moment, I knew that he was the king. What about you? Would you believe Jesus based on his miracles? What if you were in that crowd that day watching this guy on a donkey come down knowing he'd raised the dead. Would you believe? What about now? Would you welcome this king? Maybe you've welcomed him already into your heart. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about doing that. Something to ponder. Jesus said when he was told off by a Jewish leader for coming in like that as a king, Jesus said... If these people don't cry out to me that I'm the king, all of nature's going to do it. The stones will cry out. All of creation knows that he is the king. But what about us? My second point is this, is that Jesus was a king in disguise. Now, he didn't go walking around with a mask on, but neither did he have, from my prop box, a really expensive crown. He didn't go walking around like a king with a robe. He was a secret king. He was a king that was quiet. He didn't have any publicity campaigns. He didn't have any kind of royal manner that showed that he was the king. In 2011, the Queen of England was here. And I think I saw her. I think She was in a really big limousine, so it could have been anyone. But I think it was the Queen. I was going down the Eastern Freeway from the city to home, and on the other side of the freeway going into the city, there were no cars whatsoever. And I thought, either this is the apocalypse or something really scary has happened. And all of a sudden, I saw this V-shape of all motorbikes going in one direction and then one black car after another black car after another black car and then this really big long car with these flags I'm like, that's someone really important. Of course, I didn't know the Queen was here because I didn't watch the news. So until when I got home, I didn't realise that it was her. But you see, Jesus didn't rock up like that. He was a king, all right, but he decided he was coming to Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? Why did he come on a donkey? Seriously, you would think he would get a motorcade or some kind of convoy that looks amazing. He came on a donkey 
for a few reasons. One, because it was prophesied hundreds of years earlier by a prophet called Zechariah that there would be a king who would come on a donkey to Jerusalem and that people would shout out saying that he's the king. It had to happen. That's why he knew where that donkey was in the beginning when he asked his disciples to go grab it. The other reason is because Jesus is an accessible king. He's not like the Queen of England that has to take up the whole of the Eastern Freeway on the other side. You could reach out and you could touch him on the donkey. He could look at you close up and he still does today. He looks at you close up and he is accessible. He's not a far off or distant king. He's right there waiting to be discovered as a king. You see, he wasn't into status. He wasn't into power or political power. See, at the time of the Roman Empire, Rome was all about being big and mighty and conquering. But Jesus wasn't. Jesus didn't come to bring a political peace that was only temporary for a little bit of time. Jesus actually came as a king to bring us peace with God forever. So political, Rome, temporary peace, Jesus, peace with God forever. That's why he came on a donkey. He was not going to have a fight with Rome. I wonder this morning whether we have a look at this passage, whether we could do something a little bit different and a little bit special. The great crowd that had come for the festival took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this particular reason that they were shouting these words, it wasn't just a chance. It's actually from an ancient book called the Psalms, Psalm 118, where it's written, they will cry, Hosanna. They will cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They actually went and climbed palm trees, cut these big things down, covered the streets with them and waved them to recognise that actually Jesus is no longer a king in disguise. In one week's time, spoiler alert, Jesus will die as the king and he'll be raised to life again. But for now, they're recognising him as the king. This year I'm studying biblical Hebrew at college and I am seriously loving it. I really am a Hebrew nerd. So I thought, why not share a little bit of that today? So this is what they would have been shouting in Hebrew. Hoshana. Baruch haba bashem Adonai, which means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was representing God. He was the king. So I wonder, Stu, whether we might do a little interval here and maybe just pick up a couple of these branches and Matt maybe. We might just choose maybe what, how many have we got? Six? maybe six kids who might want to come and just wave a palm branch. And we're going to do a little audience interaction thing because I am a teacher after all. So we can't have you disengaged or bored. Hopefully you're tracking so far. Any kids who want to wave these or adults, you're welcome to as well. Just give you a few moments to get organised. All right, here we go. I think we're almost set. All right, so kids, 
what we might get you guys to do, actually, how might we do this? Yeah, this is good. What about we get these two groups of people here? So if the kids in a moment, just when I say, if you guys wave those branches and we, this group of people here, we'll try and do it in Hebrew today because that's going to sound amazing. Yes, it will. <laughs> so we're going to say Hoshana, right? And then you guys over here, because you guys are all the ones who are loving biblical Hebrew, you're going to come up with the amazing bit which says, in fact, just repeat after me, Baruch, Haba, Bushem, Adonai. Say, look at that. Pros already. A plus. And you guys are going to say Hoshana. All right, shall we try that out? So if you guys wave your branches frantically like Jesus is here, and we say, Hoshana, and you say, Baruch, Haba, Beshem, Adonai. Let's do it again. Hoshana. One more time. All right. I wonder whether we could just make that our own hearts cry today. Thanks, guys. I wonder if you kids could maybe just pass those branches back to Stu and Matt. And we'll keep going. Thanks for jumping in on the Hebrew and helping out there. I have a really serious question to ask you. Just imagine if you were in the crowd that day. Would you have been somebody to have grabbed a palm branch and welcomed Jesus publicly? Or would you have stood back a little bit further, kind of just looking and taking it all in? Because there are some of us here today that aren't quite sure that Jesus is the king, and that's okay because you need to take time to really figure that out for yourself. But for those of us who have been Jesus followers for a while, have we gone public about Jesus being our king, our personal king? What's it like in your workplace? Do your colleagues know that you're a Jesus follower? You don't have to bring a palm branch to work. But, and neither do you have to speak Hebrew, though I do encourage it. Have you gone public? Have you welcomed him? And have you gone public? And what would that mean for you? My last point for today is this. Jesus was a king on a double mission. Some of you go, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound right. He only had one thing to do. Well, kind of. He actually had two things to do. His very first mission was written in this ancient law that God had given to Moses. You might remember him as the guy who got the Ten Commandments. God had told Moses that a sacrifice needed to be made in order for people to be made right with God. Because there's this thing called sin, the power of sin, which can eat away at us and can drag us into things that we don't want to do or be, like the fear that I was talking about. We sang earlier, no longer slaves to fear. That's what sin is. It enslaves us to things that we don't want to do or be. But Jesus made a way. This ancient mission of these sacrifices that needed to be made, originally it was animals that the priests had to take to the altar. But Jesus, he was the one that was unwavering. He was the one that went, I'll do it. I'll do it for once and I'll do it for all. I'll do it for everybody. And if you imagine the cross... The bottom of the cross and the top of the cross, it's almost as though the kingdom of heaven is meeting the people on earth and that's what Jesus stood in the gap 
to do to connect us to God, to make us right, to give us forgiveness for when we fall over into that power of sin. And I hope I'm not losing you there because that's a really important point that we all need to hear. Jesus did not give up. I tried to give up something for Lent. Lent is six weeks long. And I tried to give something up and I lasted two weeks. Two weeks. And I just cried out to God. I said, I'm so sorry. I really wanted to focus on the cross and I really wanted to last for six weeks. And I felt God say, it's okay because I lasted in your place. Yeah? Jesus did not give up. And he won't give up. He won't give up on you now, whatever it is that you're going through. He's not giving up. You see, in Romans, there's this book in the Bible and it says the good news about Christ is that it's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. See, it's God's work. It's not our work. We can't do what the king did. It's his work, but it's for everyone. This might be news to you for the first time and if it is, can I encourage you to get some prayer or talk to somebody afterwards because this could be the greatest moment of your life. His second mission. Some of you are intrigued. You're thinking, now what is she going to say? Is this going to be something that's not biblical or heretical? Jesus' second mission was related to his first. He came to be the king and to bring peace with God, but he also came to usher in a kingdom. The king and the kingdom, it's the same thing. Jesus spent all his time here on earth setting up this kingdom for us to live in and be in. The king left, but the kingdom stays. What the king set up, he has left behind for us to be in. What is this kingdom? It's a kingdom where we live a life of goodness and peace and joy in God's spirit. He has left us this kingdom to embrace, to transform his world. It's for here and now. I should probably get rid of that wine glass. Let me just read you a little quote. Jesus' followers are to declare that the king is among us, that he's welcome, to invite people to know him and to participate in the work of the kingdom that he set up to heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, welcome the alienated, care for the poor and the marginalised. So I wonder, what would, look, what would that look like for you to be in his kingdom? You see, Jesus invites us into his double mission. For him to be the king, we can't get our hands on that. That's God's work. That's done. It's finished. But to be in his kingdom, hey, we can join in on that and we can start to transform his world. We can actually begin to move about and bring peace and joy and goodness to heal the sick and do all those things that Jesus did because he said that this kingdom is about us being him to the world to transform it. And that's what we do on Engage Sundays, right? We go out and we deliver good news to people with our hands, with our hearts, with our words. So I have three challenges for you today and I'm just going to ask Gonok and the band to come up. While they're playing this song, have a think about these three things. Will you welcome the king today? 
And if you've already welcomed him, how far have you welcomed him? We had Gonok and Alice over for coffee a little while ago. I haven't told you I'm going to say this. We stood on our veranda, Rodney, myself, Alice and Gonok, and we stood for about five or ten minutes and I was so enjoying the conversation. And then Rodney goes, do you guys want to come in and have a cuppa? And so they walked through the front door and they came into our lounge room and they were welcome. And I wonder sometimes when we welcome the king, we kind of, we're happy to keep him on the veranda. But how much do you want to welcome the king? Is he going to come and take part of your whole life? How much will you welcome the king? Think about that this week before Easter comes. Secondly, will you discover more about him? You could read through the book of Luke in the Bible. It's amazing. Way more miracles than what's in this box here. You could come to the Good Friday walk or Easter Sunday. Talk to people. Discover who is this king? What's he really about? And lastly, you could participate. Get involved. Even if you don't know the king personally yet, it's okay. Spend time with his people and you'll see him. Get involved. Not that you're going to work hard to do something for God, but you're going to enjoy transforming his world with his people. So welcome him, discover him, and participate in what he's left behind. Let me leave you with this last thought. As we consider who King Jesus really is, I wonder what it will look like in your life to welcome him today. Really welcome him. What would it look like for you to follow him publicly or more publicly than we have been? What would it look like for you to join his kingdom?